Hello everybody, welcome back to the And Again podcast. I am your host, Omer, a football writer and analyst, and I'm joined as always by my co-host H, a football content creator that focuses on the tactical parts of the beautiful game. Uh, now we're fully in World Cup mode at the moment, and those uh, 10 a.m. starters have finished and we're doubling up on games now. Um, but but we're ready, the big fixtures are coming up. We're recording this just after... Um, Senegal have qualified to Ecuador's misery and it's unfortunate because uh, Ecuador were a side that I was really impressed by. Um, so, I mean, th- there's loads to talk to. We have the England game coming up uh, very, very shortly um, and we'll probably react to that in the next um, in the next episode. But we'll just touch upon uh, this group that that's just concluded and then we'll get into the many other topics about this World Cup that we can talk about. Uh, so, H, how you, how you felt? I know you're unwell, um, so I appreciate you chatting to me. Um, but but tell me a little bit about this group, man. Uh, Ecuador uh, missing out narrowly to uh, Mani Lus Sengal side. Yeah, I actually thought um, Ecuador were one of the most impressive defensive sides I've seen in the tournament so far. I think some of the colossal defensive sides we've seen um, so far over international tournaments. Like, for example, England, one of the best defensive teams at Euros, have had, have had wobbles, uh, conceded chances, stuff like that. I think Ecuador have honestly been uh, one of the best defensive sides and best off-the-ball teams I've I've watched in the World Cup so far. So I actually I do feel quite bad for them. I don't think they were ever going to get out of the group. I just don't think the quality of the squad was there um, when you compare it to Senegal and uh, the Netherlands. But... Um, they obviously have they have gems, um, they have gems in that squad, and I think they're a team that, on the opening day of the World Cup, I think everyone kind of got a bit emotionally attached to them because of you know the opening day of the World Cup, and they kind of brought everything yeah. to life and stuff. So I think, all in all, I think I, it is it is quite bad for them because I actually thought over the games that I have watched them, I thought they've they've held their own in in the majority, but I just think that the Netherlands and Senegal uh, quality wise are just just far superior in the end. Yeah. I mean I mean for me watching um Ecuador beforehand I knew that they were a team that people were saying maybe it's a tournament too soon for them. Uh but then watching them actually perform especially in the that first I mean I think in all of the games but particularly in the first game they for me were like a really archetypal like tournament side with these really quick plays on the flanks you have your attacker uh, who's great in the air and really physical up top as well and a really physical and dynamic midfield based on like this pragmatic and strong defense so for me like I was really really impressed by them in the few days before uh, the World Cup just reading and and watching a few games um, a few games about them and I think for me it was always going to be whoever won this game essentially was the team that was going to go through Um, so it's hard to judge, really. I think they're set up really nicely for the next to- next tournaments, um, and I think I think yep, I just I literally definitely. just tweeted. What did I tweet? I tweeted um, there'll there'll be a few teams in the knockout stages that weren't as good as Ecuador were, um, which makes it more painful for this Ecuador oh. side. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yeah, if they were drew as a, a second seed, I guess you could yeah. say like. Um, if, if you know what I mean, like they were, if they were in the place of Senegal and then uh, there was a team lesser than them who were to come in in the third one, then I think, you know, they would have 
that on quality wise, I think the quality would have been there in the group, just like it is yeah. across the other groups um, in terms of like the way it funnels yeah. down. Um, yeah, I do. I feel bad for him. I've, I've got to say, I think Netherlands have been a bit of a weird one yeah. for me. I, I don't know. I don't know whether or not I really like them or I don't. Yeah, they're um, interesting. Like, I think, I think at times they look a bit lethargic and a bit boring, um, a bit lackadaisical. But then I'm watching them and I'm like, you know, Cody Gappo's setting the world alight. Mm. Um, Frankie De Jong was was beautiful in that uh, in that last game. Um, I just, I think the whole construction of the team. With the you know the two wide centre halves in the middle, um, on the right and left side of uh, the middle centre half, and how they they utilise like wide progression, especially. I think they are a good footballing team, and they have brilliant tactical aspects, but they just they're, they're not very exciting. It's like they lack intensity. Yeah, they're not very exciting. No, they just lack something that's like g me up. But I think seven points out of the group. I think that is. Uh, I'll have a look, but I think you're right. Uh, World Cup. Yeah, I think seven points out of that group. I think a lot of big nations have struggled to get seven points in favourable yeah. groups. So Yeah, that's actually really impressive. I, I don't know. I think, yeah, in that group, I think when we look at it, you know, Senegal and Ecuador, now we're sat here at the end of the group. I think we look at it and go, they've done really well to get seven points out of yeah. that group, playing how they have been playing. Um, And this is why I just don't know if the... They're, they're, they're working like a you know a top team when they play in a cup competition and they just like down tools a little bit and it's like a bit more laid back but surely I want to be honest, it, it can't yeah, be I don't like... think it's sort of down tools or anything I think this just shows us the difference between the domestic game and the international game or, or cup competitions yeah. or tournament competitions because they have a solid defensive outfit Um, I mean Timber yep. Van Dijk Nathan Aki, well, Van Dyke and Aki particularly in terms of like, Van Dyke is this monster in the high line. Um, and obviously we, we've seen Holland drop deep at times, even though they do want to hold the ball, they've had to defend their box. And when they have to defend their box or defend in transition a little bit, Nathan Aki is really good at this sort of box defending as well. Um, and then obviously you get sort of five across the back line. They're really like solid defensively. They keep the ball. Sometimes it feels like, just to keep the ball. And I know that's not their intention. They want to sort of move the opposition around, create chances and score. But sometimes it just seems like they're keeping the ball um, and, and not doing too much with it. In those situations, though, the other team aren't going to get the ball and they're not a threat on their own goal. So when you have the individual brilliance yeah. of Gakpo and sort of Depay can bring players into the game, the individual brilliance of Frankie, especially when he gets into that left half space, um, then sort of these fine margin victories based on like this really solid defensive foundation gets you uh, deep tournament runs, even if you're not playing really exciting or, or well. I mean, like Germany, I would say, <coughs> yeah. have played well and have are, are sitting on one point and, and Netherlands have played a bit more boring and a bit more safe yeah. and they're sitting on seven. So it's all about these fine margins. And to be fair, uh, I'm not massively mad at those two teams going through uh, in the group. I just... I think Ecuador were the brightest no. in that group, um, but like brightness doesn't sort of win you win you cups. Yeah, I think I think for the majority, I think um, I know you really like Taki Ball, and he made a really a really good um, video the other day. <coughs> uh, might have been yesterday actually about the the increased amount of individual brilliance we're seeing at the tournament because of the 
because of the lesser um, time spent with the coaches yeah. and it's just the way um, things go in it. You know, the the tactical understanding, a bit yeah, more space think, as well. And, um, That's why Bruno Fernandes to me makes so yeah, much I'm just sense as to... this international player who who's going to thrive on that stage. For us, it would be someone like James Madison, but obviously he's yeah. not been selected. And I think possibly Phil Foden as well. They're the two sort of guys who can get your goal from from nothing. Um, but obviously they're both sitting on the bench yeah. for England. Um, so I wonder if we could possibly toy with that idea. I did see a leaked lineup, but apparently um, Jude Bellingham is going to be playing as the third midfielder. So possibly like a number 10-ish. Foden uh, on one of the wings and Rashford on the other wing. For me, I can't fully understand that rationale because for me, I think the best wing pairing and the wing pairing you want to go with based on form and and profile is Foden and Saka. So then if you do want to get your magic players in, such as Phil Foden, it doesn't make sense for me to try him out wide, um, especially with the rotated side. Um, But but what do you think about, first of all, uh, get, get your Rashford prop in, but also like... Um, Jude playing as his number <laughs> ten, and then Foden possibly on the wing if these leaked lineups are indeed accurate. Yeah, I don't. Just, uh, for starters, yeah, it was just the the thing about space, and um, you know, you get the extra get, get the extra second on the ball, and I think that's why we're seeing such um, good performances from players who work really well in fast instances, um, like Bruno Rashford and Gappo and stuff like that, but. I think for the for the lineups, I Jude Bellingham isn't. I, I feel like Jude Bellingham has been awfully misused. Um, I'm in the first gonna, game, I like how I'm he was used in the first game though. He's put, late runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that is that is how I when when I watch Jude Bellingham, I watch him as a guy who's a late a late arriver in a box. Um, He's got good defensive uh, attributes, but, you know, works really, really well in and around the box. Um, he's not a first-phase receiver. Yeah, he, he can play um, this, like... Not a back-to-goal. In the second game uh, against USA, he did drop deep and sort of show for the passes. Um, his game there was more like playing the first-hand pass back to the centre-backs and then jogging back into his area. Um, so I think he can show and... and like he can show for it in the first phase, like a supportive kind of player, but I don't think he's a player who can sort of yeah. or will often receive in a half turn drive or play out these multiple angles from from that yeah. deeper area. I think he's more of the second DM the, or final third, moving into the final third player. Yeah, yeah. Se- second second DM is like is what I would probably describe him as. I think I just don't like I just don't like the the con- uh, the midfield is Henderson. Rice and Bellingham, that's the lead Apparently, midfield. Yeah. I don't like that midfield at all. I understand Henderson's inclusion. Like, and I think a lot of people were very critical that he... I mean, to be fair, do I understand it? I, I understand why Henderson's got in, but I don't understand why Henderson's got in or why yeah. players have got in over Calvin Phillips. I, um, but I think Henderson gives you that yeah. overlap, which, I mean, to, to be fair though, Saka, Saka's... It's wide, yeah, but Saka's Grish. not even playing. So yeah. unless... Uh, Rashford's on the left and Foden's on the right which to be fair very very well could be the case I don't understand that too much but I thought Henderson's cameo in that second game was good uh, even though a lot of people didn't I thought it was a good substitution because it gave Saka those overlapping like almost like Ben White dynamics um, and Henderson's used to giving that to, yeah, yeah, to Mo Salah um, at club level so I thought that was fine um, 
But yeah, I kind of agree with you in that that midfield. It wouldn't be my preferred I, midfield. No, I just think when I think about the Henderson sub, I, I tweeted something and it absolutely blew up and then I deleted it straight away because I was just like, I'm going to get absolutely pelts from Liverpool fans. I didn't understand how you could view... I under I understood that you want to get Henderson on because, you know, he links up really well in wide areas. We weren't really getting beyond the full-backs. Yeah. You know, he's really good at underlapping, you know, creating angles, blah, blah, blah. But when I looked at that game, I don't know what head you have to have on, on your shoulders to be like, I'm going to look at this game and I'm going to think that an, an, a number eight who can drift out wide is going to change the, the dynamic of the game. I mm. didn't... I, when I looked at the game, I was like, we need either another another first phase receiver and like a Calvin Phillips, a guy who can outnumber uh, the US press, or we need pace and power um, in wide areas. Um, yeah. And I think Saka, Saka is pace and power, but I think... Um, when he's having a when he's not having a great game, you can't you can't keep relying on him. You know we've got options on the bench. We've got we've got profiles in there, and I just didn't. If I'm being honest, I just didn't understand. I under I understood what Henderson brought to the to the team and to the to the game with his profile. Understood. I understand like what he was trying to do, but I don't understand how you looked at the game and that's what you thought would have come of it. We was having barely any barely any fun on the right hand side i thought on the left hand side we looked like a much bigger yeah. threat um with luke shaw and uh sterling i love those two players i just for me i don't i know <laughs> it, luke shaw, yeah man. i mean luke shaw has been one of, the, one um, of the, if not the best player for us so far i kind of agree with some of what you're saying yeah uh, for me i will be a bit more lenient on southgate for the henderson substitution because in a way, he is used to playing in those first phase areas and he can provide a little bit of defensive support, which might free Trippier to push on. And when we did watch that game after he came on, he provided that overlap. And in and of itself, maybe he's not going to be providing a pass or assist for a goal or whatever, but he's giving Saka or he's allowing Saka to get the ball in inside eight areas, basically. Uh, which means that he can be a little bit more direct yeah. and dangerous. So I wasn't massively mad at that. For me, I I only wanted to see one substitution and I really just wanted to see Foden on for, I mean, either Jude or Mount, but I think Mount on for Mount would have made more sense to me. And I really like Mount in, as a left centre mid in a 4-3-3. Um, but for me, like, he's not, I mean, he he's a player who's so, sort of, he's really creative uh, and attacking in nature, but he's like, Obviously, he's been played in the last line as a winger and stuff like that because he is a really, really sort of attacking output kind of player. Um, and for me, and obviously he puts in a lot of work defensively in terms of running and pressing and things like that. But for me, I thought, first of all, Phil Foden is probably the most technically able player in our team. And although, and obviously Southgate made the point that he's never played in or he hasn't played in these central areas for City, which is why he didn't, come on or he wasn't thought of as an option which is wrong I mean, by yeah, the way first of all it is wrong i mean foden played as this false nine for is, an entire it's, season it's wrong uh and he had to drop into yeah. i mean as deep as like the defensive midfielders didn't, didn't he play as a six against atalanta i think or Bruce, he's played was it? as like he's generally played as, like, in, like a, defensive mid- receiving from defensive midfield areas um i think that was a game yeah. this season where i can't remember who against but i think our left back got subbed off and we were basically playing with like three defenders. He was he was basically playing like this kind of like left wing back almost. 
um, but really just playing as a left winger. And he dropped into sort of like the areas where Zinchenko would receive the ball in that like left DM area. And yeah. his technical brilliance and quality is so high that he can receive on a half term like those Spanish players in those small spaces from the first phase, even yep. if he's not a defensive yep. midfielder. Um, so I just thought, even though, I mean, first of all, England lacked this creative edge and he could provide that magic because of his quality. But second of all, because of his technical ability, he's also a good option to drop deep and receive, even though people don't think of him as that sort of player. Um, so yeah. for me, it just makes no sense that he's, first of all, not getting a run out with the A team because he's going to be playing with the rotated side now. And second of all, not playing in these central yep. areas where we lack a bit of technical quality and a bit of magic. Um, and just sort of my last point, because yeah. I've gone on this little like, I don't even know, this little speech. Uh, but but Luis Enrique is <laughs> playing Rodri as a right centre-back for his qualities, uh, for his actual like innate qualities and, and football traits. And Rodri's played centre-back for City twice, if that. Um, and, and Spain looked like the best and most polished side. So for me, it makes no sense to say this player doesn't play here at club level. He can't do it here at the international level when we've seen his qualities and individual traits and he's played in those areas more than Rodri's played at centre-back. So for me, like, I, I yeah. am more lenient I don't, to Southgate I, than most, but I, that's a decision that I just can't understand. Yeah. I've got, like, a couple points on, like, this this whole, like, position thing that he that he's mentioned about Foden. Yeah. Um, Kyle Walker's never really played centre-back for City on paper. Yeah, he's, he, I mean, he's, invert, he's inverted um, in these, like, right centre-back zones. He, he inverts. I think in a five-back. Yeah. Five, we don't play a five-back. So, I think it's similar. That role is similar to what he's played before. But, I mean, I, I get your point, and there's other examples in the team where what, you, what you're saying makes sense. Declan Rice don't play as a single yeah. pivot. yeah. Like, do you know, I just, I just feel like... Yeah, if you're I narrowing like it down don't... to that extent, as in like, are, are you seeing a yeah. defensive midfielder? Are you separating defensive midfielder by single pivot, double pivot? Um, or are you just seeing defensive midfielder? Yeah. For me, I think you're looking at traits and qualities well, think... and situations. And Foden's drifted in and played yeah. in these inside areas for his entire career. Yeah. I think that when I'm looking at... When I'm looking at midfielders now, especially when I'm looking at them for Manchester United, because we profile midfielders absolutely horribly. <laughs> it's like when when I'm looking at midfielders now, I'm looking at if do they play in do they play in a, a staggered midfield? Do they play in a you know a, a two in midfield? Do they play a double pivot? Do they play as a double six? Are they a six eight or ten? Because I'm looking at players now. For example, like Enzo Fernandez is one uh, that Manchester United are like growing growingly becoming interested yeah. in. And it actually sounds right because he plays in front of a number six uh, at club level. However, he, re he receives in the first phase, blah, 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 blah. But then I'm just, when when I'm looking at midfielders in these like really like minuscule ways of how they play for the clubs compared to how uh, the countries use them, I just, for me, I don't understand the, 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 he play he's a, he's a wide player. Like I think like you just said, like, at every single time Foden gets on the ball, he's looking to come central, whether or not he be is, in deeper areas, in advanced areas. With, with Foden, he, it, it's, it's a problem of his versatility. He's so good that Pep's used him in a multitude of roles. He can play everywhere. But, like, you have to put everything in context. Yeah. I mean, City have had like a, a, a massive array of central midfield talents in Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan. 
who are three of genuinely like the greatest midfielders of their generation. Um, so first of all, for Foden to get in ahead of them and David Silva before them, uh, who is my favorite player of all time, uh, and I could speak about it for about 10 years, uh, but Foden not getting in ahead of them doesn't make him not a good player. I mean, I don't think any of the England midfielders would yeah. get in ahead of them anyway. And then with with Foden, it's, he sort of played left wing as this traditional left winger because he's the only sort of left-footed player with that quality who can do that. We don't have any other left-footed players who can play that except for Sergi Gomez. And I, I mean, before, I mean, we saw Sane. So, so Foden naturally fulfilled that role because of his massive quality. And then he played centre forward, false nine ahead of Gabriel Jesus, um, which is a massive, massive uh, testament to Phil Foden's quality. He's dropping deep and playing and receiving like Gabriel Jesus does now for Arsenal sort of by the central midfielders. Yeah. So I compared it a little bit to Paul Scholes in that Paul Scholes started his career as a 10, uh, then he moved deeper and deeper and he excelled in all of these positions. For England, he played as a left midfielder because he was so good in and of his actual talents and his traits that they thought, fine, we'll just shoehorn him in on the left because he can probably do that. He's good enough to do that because of his all-round game. When you have a player of that quality, you have to just put them in the best zones and, and let them play. Um, yeah. So for me, like, if, yeah. I just, I just asked where, I just asked Phil Foden, where do, where do you want to play how, on the pitch? Wherever you want to play on the facts. pitch. If you want to play, you know what I mean? Like, just just say to him, right, Phil Foden, right, pick pick me any zoner. I don't want you to pick me left wing, for, like, just pick me, like, yeah. a place on the well, pitch you play when you receive wing, the ball, you, you middle, feel like you want to play middle, you want to play right. Like, you don't even need to say this little specific space. If you, if you want to drop deep and receive if you from play, the DMs, if you want to play, do it, fella. Yeah, if you want to play in like the left half space, but you want to play like in, in that half space, but deeper, like on the halfway like Fra- line like Frankie got the young. ball, yeah. that's fine. We could put, we, yeah, we could put three players behind you. We can put a guy to your right and we could put a guy who's in your starting position out wide. Like these, and I just feel like, we're, I don't think people realise like Phil Foden, is like a he seems like a luxury player at Manchester City because he's that good. Yeah. But I feel like he's he's actual like he's fundamentally like brilliant. When I go ball. to and when I, I go like to games kind of and watch overlooked. watch them train before the game, I'm not most impressed by Kevin De Bruyne. I'm most impressed by yeah. by Phil Foden. I I went to watch the Fulham game um and as the this is one of my favorite stories and I wish I recorded this because there's going to be no footage anywhere of this, but you'll have to take my word for it. As they finished the warm-up, Phil Foden wasn't starting that game. And, and as they finished the warm-up, then Phil Foden and like one or two others were the last to leave the pitch. Phil Foden basically uh, dribbles the ball to just outside the box and, and he like points at the crossbar and he hits the crossbar. And the ball bounces off the crossbar, rolls back to him and he, he takes it, he dribbles back to like the edge of the hoop uh, like the center circle and then just again hits it hits the crossbar again just twice in a row crossbar crossbar and the second one being from the basically near the halfway line and then like the two players next to him but i can't remember who they were now but they were in awe and then they just go inside and he just casually does that the way he's like sort of doing kickups volleying it like he has such good mastery of the ball it reminds me of like clips when you see I don't know, Brazilians or like Thiago Alcantara. Like these guys have such good mastery of the ball. All right. that Well, I think that's enough uh, <laughs> Phil Foden prop. Uh, 
And to be fair, this is going to get uploaded um, the day after the Wales game. So if he's performed poorly uh, in amongst the rotator oh, side, playing oh on God, the wing. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll oh sort God, of age no. poorly. However, he, he's not playing in these central zones and they're not giving him the keys um, if that leaked lineup is to go by. So, I mean, uh, I've said this multiple times and, and H has agreed with <clears> me in that quality is like this emergent thing. It, you, your quality is only dependent on your role and the situation and context that you're in. So uh, we'll have to see yeah. how England and Southgate use him, if they do use him. Um, and and we'll move on from uh, England talk. Uh, H, I do want to ask you, sort of going into these final games now, uh, who do you think looked the most strong uh, team to you so far? Um... Uh, I'm going to say Spain. Spain, yeah. But I feel like if it comes down to a final, I feel like Brazil win. Fairs. Yeah, because I just there's something there's something about the individual quality of the Brazilian players, Mm. and I don't know what it is, but you went when you watch them, there wasn't much rhythm or patterns to the game. Um, that they played against Switzerland, uh, it wasn't really in like one stagnant flow. Well, it was it was stagnant. It wasn't in one like consistent flow. Like they weren't shuffling the block. They weren't sustaining pressure too much. But then you just look at the team and they just have so many individually quality players. And yeah, I just I've just never I've never seen a team. For example, they've got one of the best centre halves of the past couple of decades in Thiago Silva. I mean, I've I've watched Alexandro a handful of times in about three years, and he yeah. has been dire to watch recently. And <laughs> he puts in a performance where I'm like, "Where has this player come from?" Yeah, and I'm just like, it's it's so scary to me how much. I think it might be a South American thing, but it stands out so much with Brazilians. Brazilians just love the international team, like to the, the point Selecao. where they will yeah, sacrifice man. everything. They'll sacrifice they everything for it. They have such a great like, like, chemistry and, and sort of cohesion yeah, within that yeah. cohort. And to be fair, you see it in most Brazilian cohorts. They've mentioned in the past that the English golden generation have struggled, but the Brazilians never, and, and maybe I'm mistaken and I haven't read up on my history well, but they've never had that sort of issue in my mind. Yeah, I just, I've never seen a Brazilian squad like never have this harmony and synergy before like I've just never it never comes out that you know two Brazilians have had like a fight or like there's been a dressing room outburst they're just it's always good vibes and I feel like if you if you're getting included in the Brazilian squad for like the first time you know it's your first big call up you start a game and whatnot I just feel like there's never any like judgment there's only like a family feel to the club uh, to the to the to the international level I mean, of yeah, football. it feels, like, feel a club. like I've never it feels really like a seen club. that before um, with a nation and comparing it to England is night and day the difference between um, the way the the players communicate and you know the players synergize on an international level because obviously our golden generation multiple ex-England players have described it as being this rocky you know yeah. angsty kind of club rivalry at international level which was mostly why we didn't have the synergy um, to perform on the pitch never mind the tactical um element of it yeah um 
But yeah, I just I feel like Brazil can just muster up anything at any given time. I feel like they've got that character. I feel like they've got that synergy. And I just feel like they're impossible to write off. Um especially in crunch time moments. No, I completely agree with you, man. And and sort of yeah, you're right in that like maybe they, they weren't entirely dominant, but we saw the it was a deflection, but Casemiro burst in beyond his line and uh with that moment of magic and then obviously with um uh, with Richarlison's overhead kick as well. So, yeah, you're right in that Brazil can give you sort of magic moments and they also have this really assured uh, shape off, I mean, so in possession, but like off the ball in terms of their 3-2-5, it really pre- prevents against these counter-attacks and they're quite solid in defence there as well. It's a bit too safe and a bit pragmatic, if you want to say it. Although it's attacking intent and attacking in... Um, who's playing it's a bit pragmatic in terms of having three four five guys um i mean three guys behind the ball is not pragmatic but i mean four or five guys behind the ball is quite pragmatic and safe uh from brazil but that's certainly one of the teams to uh look out for and they look like one of the better teams uh, going forward as do um uh, as do spain as well for me i'd want to give france some prop i think france um are a side that are really balanced and like you were mentioning uh, with the Brazilian side, they have players capable of those moments. And um, I think in this cohort, at least, um, and I mean, in the sort of past World Cups as well, when they've been successful, there has been uh, that synergy. And I think good uh, sort of squad harmonies, good squad balances, integral in trying to win an international trophy, as well as like understanding dynamics of players and having players who can provide that moment of magic um, and Mbappe's done that on a few occasions. Uh, Griezmann's having a wonderful tournament so far. And for me, he's my player of the tournament. Um, obviously, you need to get going. Uh, but I'm sure that we'll speak about France in a lot more uh, detail and depth. I just wanted to give them a shout out because I've been really impressed with their side in the absence of players like sort of Pogba, Kante being phased out or, or being injured a little bit. Um, yeah, and for me, they've been really, uh, really impressive. You need to go. Uh, the games are about to start as well. Uh, England versus Wales. So so we'll see how that goes. And uh, to everybody who's listening in, I hope you've enjoyed that uh, episode of the podcast. We'll try and get another one out to you soon-ish. Um, and if we can't get another one in between uh, now and the next week, then uh, you'll be able to catch the next one again on Wednesday. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for the support massively appreciate it um, and long made this wonderful world cup uh, run <laughs>